This is the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel with Neil Fitzmorris, bringing you all the big news and even bigger views on Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to uh, another Poetry in Motion with me, Neil Fitzmorris. Probably the penultimate uh, podcast of the year that we're possibly going to do another one next week a little sort of co-pro again with Ale La Rouge Peter Hooten and the lads uh, hopefully we enjoy doing them so we're going to try and squeeze one in before the end of the year I hope you're keeping safe thank you for tuning in once again to a Blood Red podcast and uh, keep listening to all of them Ale La Rouge and, and all the lads on the, pod, uh, the Blood Reds as well they're all brilliant podcasts and I uh, am honoured to be part of it with their uh, poetry in motion um we're going to crack off, crack on really with uh, with something unfortunately uh, a bit of sad news really that uh, everyone connected with Liverpool Football Club and every fan uh, is is all too aware of, and that is the passing of former manager uh, Gerard Houllier. Unfortunately, through complications due to his heart and an operation he was undergoing. Um, you guys, I don't know what uh, I'm joined by Matt Addison. By the way, hi Matt, how are you, pal? Yeah, very good, thank you. Good man, good man. Joe Rimmers with us as well. Hi, Joe. Hey, Neil, you okay? Yeah, good, mate. Good to see you, lads. Uh, glad to know you're keeping safe, as everyone else as well listening to the podcast. Keep keeping safe, uh, keep an eye on each other, help each other war, uh, help each other out and stuff. Keep wearing your masks and we'll get through this stupid bloody thing together, won't we? Uh, but whatever you listen to this, really, really appreciate your support, as ever. Um, I'm just trying to work out your ages, guys, because I'm a little bit older than you two. Certainly, Matt, good Lord, I've got a yoghurt in the back of my fridge, older than you, Matt. But, um, Joe... A little bit older, a little bit wiser, I think, but uh, still certainly younger than me. I don't know, uh, in terms of Liverpool fans, where Gerard Houllier uh, comes in for you. He joined the club in 98, I think. Um, it was that weird one with 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 with, uh, with Houllier when he sort of joined as like a co-manager, if you remember, with Roy Evans. And you could almost see Roy Evans, you know, hugely respected part of the boot room, of course. Uh, but you could almost see the sort of... The vultures landing when uh, when Hulier come in um, as part of Roy Roy Evans's management of Liverpool. You felt like this was going to be a takeover. It felt like that for Liverpool fans. I think Roy Evans felt it as well and thought, "Well, this isn't going to go well." Joint manager. It was the first time I think a joint managing system had, had ever come come uh, come into the uh, into the Premiership. Um, and as it turned out, it, it was sort of um, it wasn't long before Gerard Hulier was sole manager. Of Liverpool Football Club, he's uh, he was no stranger to Liverpool. He was a former teacher as well, of course, at Allsop School uh, many years earlier. And then he went on to, into management with Lens and uh, also PSG as well before joining Liverpool in 1998. What do you guys remember of of Houllier? Is he part of your growing up? Of course, we'll talk about how he developed Stephen Gerrard and Carragher and and all that crop of young players. Um, what do you guys uh, remember? I'll start off with Joe. What do you remember about Julier and his time at Liverpool, Joe? Well, for me, Neil, he's probably the first manager who I think I described that on another podcast of the day is, who made Liverpool feel like Liverpool for me. He was, um, you know, I, I'm 32. I look 21, I know, but I'm 32. Hey, what's that? So... <laughs> so you know, Roy Evans grew up with, with sort of Roy Evans as, as as the man when I was it when I was a really young lad, and but it wasn't really until Julier came along that I suppose I really started to properly take a, a real interest in football and, and you know watch the games more consistently, you know follow follow their fortunes in in all competitions and 
you know, and, and sort of take an interest in what a manager does, really. I think before that, when, you, when you're very young, you, you're more interested in the players, the goal scorers, the kits, if you like. So he was the first manager who really, you know, I was, I was really interested in. And he made me fall in love with Liverpool and, and, and fall in love with football. I mean, you know, one season and, you know, I, you know, I'd never seen, I hadn't seen my dad that excited about following Liverpool before. Um, you know, it, it, it makes a makes a massive difference, doesn't it? So I, I just, yeah, fell in love with football, wanted to go to as many games as possible um, and just loved Julio for it. I, you know, I was really, really, uh, Monday was such a sad day and when the news filtered through, um, just felt so hollow because, you know, I think not only was he, was he a manager who brought so much joy to Liverpool, who put Liverpool on the map for a certain generation of supporters and modernised Liverpool, he was also just a thoroughly, thoroughly decent man. He's a man who embodied all the values of the football club, um, who, you know, always conducted himself with such grace. And, um, you know, I think anyone that you, you speak to who's, who's cr- uh, crossed paths with him and anyone who, who's dealt with him in the past will talk very, very highly of him. He loved football. He loved the city. He loved the club. And, um, yeah, really, really good. I think this is the first, um, you know, Football in, in in death really has hit home for me, you know, um, as a supporter. If that makes sense, you know, I, you know, Julio was someone I grew up with, and you know, to to see that news on Monday, you know, it hurt. It hurt a lot. So, um, you know, it was really touching to see the tributes for him last night. I'm really pleased Liverpool won for him. Um, I'm sure he's up there somewhere smiling and yeah, um, devastated. Really, um, yeah. not a great. Fight. Yeah, he'll be missed. He will, absolutely. Matt, what about yourself? I mean, it, it, do you remember much about Julier's time? As I said before, he was very much key to the development of some some players who have gone on to be legends in our club now. Of course, Steven Gerrard and Jimmy Carragher as well. I mean, Danny Murphy, the young ones, the younger sort of generation coming through. He, he was um, he was inspirational. And do you think do you think that teaching background helped him as well? Because he seemed like quite a. Uh, a really, really good man manager. You seem to be one of the best man managers around at the time, Matt. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure that must have played a, a big impact. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't remember Gerard Hulier as Liverpool manager. My memories of him are, are more after that. The, the first sort of Liverpool manager that I really sort of grew up with was Rafa Benitez when he first came in. That was the the time that I really got into football but it's uh it's amazing really when you you think back at, of all the the tributes and, and stuff that have been paid this week my memories are, of him uh, not necessarily as Liverpool manager but as Aston Villa and, and various other clubs you know after that I do you know very much remember you know thinking about him and whenever he'd appear on the, the TV screen for, for whatever he was doing whether it was punditry whether it was coaching or, or whatever it might be there'd always be a, a warmth and, and sort of a, a feeling of affection as there so often is from, from Liverpool fans to, to a former manager. And you could tell, you know, just how respected he was. I think that's the, the biggest thing for, for me this week is, you know, it, it, it hurt me, even though I don't remember his time at Liverpool, which I think just, you know, says everything that, that you need to know really about the impact that he left behind. You know, I don't remember him being at Liverpool, but I certainly remember the things that came after that and, and the impact that he had, it's been said already, but I'm sure, you know, things like Istanbul, for example, would that have happened if Gerard Houllier hadn't done what he'd done at Liverpool? Probably not. You know, that's just, you know, one one example of many things, really. So, 
Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it's really sad, uh, as Joe says, um, the the fact that Liverpool got the the win against Tottenham. I think you know the, the tribute beforehand was was really emotional. I'm sure that the two thousand people inside the ground were, were, you know, very much you know felt that. And I think it, as I say, it's a, a testament to not just a, a man that he was, but but a manager and a person within football as well. That the tributes that have all come out this week. Yeah, I, I, a lot of people have forgotten as well that Hulier was the first, the first time Liverpool had really stretched outside of the boot room and outside of the traditional um, passing on of the torch, if you like, to 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 to, to take over Liverpool because you had Roy Evans and of course he was the last of the boot room really, the youngest and the last of the boot room lot, wasn't he? And and then and then it was a foreign manager and it was something that Liverpool was one of those clubs. That, uh, parochial is not the right word, obviously, but what I'm saying to, is is that we want our own, and we and we like to we'd like to we, we, traditionally we wanted that kind of pass it on, pass on the torch. So when Julier came, it was a bit of a stretch for some Liverpool fans, I think, particularly as this co-managerial thing, because I think people were cynical of the fact that it, we knew that he was going to be taking over Roy Evans's job. But there was something about Gerard Julier and the way he spoke and the way he communicated that, that made you feel very assured. He, he was a he was a real calming influence, I think, when I was growing up as a fan, watching him take over. And and when he nurtured the likes of the Gerrards and the Carragas through and and, and some fantastic players, you um, you got a real sense that because he had that background in Liverpool, he got a real sense that he really did love the city, really did love the club and and belonged. We all, we all, we all realised he belonged very, very quickly. The 2001 season, of course, I mean, you know, you judge a manager by trophies. In 2001, he brought three. We won the treble. We won the Super Cup and the FA Cup. And, of course, that famous game against Alaves to win the UEFA Cup as well. And um, uh, and just by that year alone, it summed up the fact that the guy knew what he was talking about with football and knew how to put a team together that could uh, that could win trophies. I'll tell you what I'll always remember him for. Um and and it's prevalent to last night as well. It's that last minute thing, the last minute winner. And I will never ever forget. If you ever see the footage again, and anyone listening to this now, wherever you are, walking your dogs, going for a run, anything, anywhere in your car, driving, whatever you're doing, thanks again once again for for listening to us. The next chance you get, just Google the the dying moments of the derby when at Goodison, when Gary McAllister takes a free kick, and he ushers everyone to one side of the goal where he's going to put that ball. And then he curls this free kick from miles out into the bottom corner, the opposite bottom corner, beating the goalkeeper and winning the derby in the dying moments of the game. And if you look at Gerard Houllier, you'll see a man who has gone back to being a 12-year-old kid. I mean, it was incredible. His mischievous look on his face when he realised that we'd just come three points out of, out of our most fierce rivals. And I was thinking last night when that header went in that he'd be pulling exactly the same gob. That real, it was like the mouth open kind of, the mouth agape kind of kid. It was, it was so thrilled to get that win. And, and I think my abiding memory of, of, of Gerard Houllier, apart from his success, will be that look. I'll always remember, get a chance. If you are of Matt's age or beyond or, or younger, whatever, and you haven't seen that famous Gary McAllister penalty where he just cons everyone. It was a piece of, it was a masterstroke. But you'll see Julier and you'll see that mischievous, childish grin whip across his face as that ball went in the net. Um, so, respect from all of us. Uh, you will be missed. You are part of uh, the Liverpool family. You are a legend. You are part of the history of the club and certainly um, very much um, responsible 
for um yes please um thank god this is only on a podcast let me tell you uh, that was like when that, a bbc is that sam carlos with a cup of tea yeah <laughs> um <laughs> He will be uh, he will be uh, forever missed and forever regarded as a bit of a legend at, uh, at Liverpool Football Club. So rest in peace, Gerard Houllier, and thank you for everything you did for the club. Um, let's just go on briefly now to talk about Liverpool. To talk about certainly um, uh, the Fulham game, which was uh, instantly forgettable, wasn't it? We all sat down um, and I said those famous words. You know, the Liverpool of the old would blow this game. You know, classic Fitzmaurice. Um, Preempting a disaster, um, you know all the results have gone our way, and then and then we play Fulham and uh, and the first half hour, uh, the first half uh, amongst the worst football I've seen Liverpool play, and that includes the filler game as well. They were dreadful. They were caught like rabbits in the headlights. Didn't really know what to do. Whether it was fatigue or so, we'll talk briefly about it because obviously we have something much more fun to talk about straight after. But Joe, the um, the Fulham game was a was a strange affair, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Um, I, you know, I think it makes last night even more remarkable considering I thought of Fulham, they just looked shot. I just thought they looked... I mean, I've said this recently, in recent weeks, I thought they looked knackered, out of ideas, and just like they played too much football and I just needed a break. And um, yeah, in the first half, they were just like rabbits in the headlights, just didn't seem to turn up. Fulham got the wind in their sails and were all over them and you know, and even in the second half, I thought Liverpool obviously dominated the second half, got back into it, but didn't really, the Henderson chance aside, carve out any really key opportunities. And, you know, even that the penalty was slightly fortuitous with the uh, with the handball. So, you know, for all their possession in the second half, it was frustrating. I mean, I, I nearly lashed the ball, but at the TV, it was just so drab. And, um, and yeah, afterwards, I just came away thinking, I mean, quite similar to the Brighton game. Liverpool just need a break. They need a they need a full week off, and almost like refresh themselves. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it just it just was one of those days, wasn't it? I think a bad start coupled with Fulham feeling like yeah we're in this um, made a big difference. Did think it was a foul on Salah for the goal. You know, it was a little cynical nudge in the back, but you know, I, th- I think they're the sort of ones that you can't you can't cry about really because they do happen um, and. Yeah, frustrating one, but um, a fair play to them. They, they did not bounce back last night. Just to re- just to check your religious background, there you you, you nearly lashed a Bible at the TV. Or was no, it a-, a bauble. Nice, you know, yeah. like after after Christmas yeah. tree. No, that, no, no, I knew. I just wanted you to say it again because I, I I think it's I think it's wonderfully middle class to go. I nearly lashed a bauble at the TV. <laughs> well, I don't know what else you call it. It was just next to me on the uh, on the Christmas tree. I nearly lashed the cat at the TV. That's what I nearly lashed oh, yeah, at the TV. Yeah. Uh, Matt, uh, yeah, yeah. Matt, I mean, pretty much Joe's just summed it up, Annie. It was it was one of them games where Liverpool looked like they'd never been introduced to each other on a pitch before. It was it was a very, very strange kind of heart and mouth moment, wasn't it, to, to, to watch. I mean, good on Fulham, they went at it. And and of course anyone can press anyone in this team, in this in this league, and have been. It's keeping it up over ninety minutes, isn't it? And um and um as my tea is brought to me by my son. Thank you very much, Connor. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, it was a worrying. Uh, it was a worrying first half, and then, and then, I suppose in some ways, Matt, it's better to nick a goal back rather than be one up and then get pegged back in it. But at the same time, it was food for thought, wasn't it, when that final whistle went? 
and I remember saying to someone, "That's probably the best thing that can happen before a Spurs game because you'll get a, they'll get a rocket." And it appears that they did, Matt. Yeah, it was a worrying performance. I think it's easy now to, to look back and go, well, they've beaten Tottenham and everything's okay. But I mean, it, at the time, it, it did feel like a, a real strange one. It felt like they were tired. It, it felt like they didn't like being pressed, which is not something that we've seen really before. We know that you know players like Gini Wijnaldum, and, well, particularly Wijnaldum, but, but all of Liverpool's players really are, are really high energy. They never stop running. That just didn't seem to be the case, did it, against Fulham and when Fulham pressed them, they were making mistakes. They couldn't seem to, to keep hold of the ball. And you know, even when they, they moved it into the front players, normally someone like a Mane or a Salah can relieve that pressure and, and just take the ball, keep hold of it for a little bit and move everyone up the pitch. And it, it just didn't seem to be working for them. But I heard someone say earlier in the week that the Fulham game, certainly the first half, was effectively the Aston Villa game, but with a different goalkeeper. And I think that's a, a really interesting way of putting it. I think, you know, Alisson did make it a couple of good saves to keep Liverpool in it. On another day, Liverpool could easily have lost that match. And there's almost an argument to say that you've just got to look at it. Again, particularly, I suppose, hindsight now with the, the three points against Tottenham. But look at it really as a, a point gain for Liverpool against Fulham because on the evidence, certainly of the first half, probably on the second half as well, it was probably a point more than what you know Jurgen Klopp's team deserved on that day. Yeah, and again, Joe, we have to remind ourselves, don't we? I said to someone at the end of the game, you know, we had two midfielders playing centre-back at the end of that game. We had Henderson and Fabino, And they're two people that we can ill afford to have playing that far back. So we have to be reminded, because this team is so good, we have to be reminded, don't we, that we're playing. We're sort of stuck together with, with Blue Tech at the moment. It's a, it's a team that's very much covered in Band-Aids. And, and, and from game to game, it's almost a case of, of like, who's, who's fit enough to play? Absolutely. And then I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing just the, some of these middling performances. Because look, look at that, you know, yeah, you've got Henderson and Fabinho, two of the best midfielders in the Premier League, having to play at centre-half. It's going to take something away from you. And I don't think it's any surprise that Liverpool do look at shots at times. Because like the likes of Wijnaldum, he's not been able to have a break at all, has he? You know, Henderson's come back from injury, straight back in. Fabinho is now playing all his time at centre-half and not really getting a break. And as well, you're missing him in the midfield. And it just gives you something different, doesn't it? You know, I think it's almost getting forgotten how good Fabinho is as a midfielder because we don't get to have him there anymore. And he, no. and last season, look how good he was. He's he's one of, your, one of the best midfielders in, in the world. So, you know, it, it's incredibly frustrating. And I must admit, I'm, I'm kind of at the point now where, you know, I... I I've said before, I don't, I don't tend to criticise Liverpool too much for their transfers because they don't get a lot wrong, do they? You know, I don't, don't think that. But then I do, do believe that going into this season, you know, and I, I think Klopp said it before in press conference where he says, you know, I, I can't predict that these problems are going to happen. But surely you do look at the likes of Matip and his injury record and think, well, you know, they must do that before they buy a player. So they must do that, you know, when you've got a play, you go, well, you're right, he doesn't play that often. You know, wouldn't it wouldn't it be good if we're gonna buy a centre half next summer to see what we can do? You know, I'm I'm still surprised now that they didn't try and do some sort of bargain deal or a loan, you know, and I think they left themselves short and look, I mean, they're still in a great position, aren't they, in the Premier League? But I can't help but feel like Liverpool could be seven points clear at the top of the league and I know other teams might be able to say the same thing, but so many performances from Liverpool this season where they just haven't quite been at it, or you know, you know, Brighton the decision in the last minute, or Fulham, you know, they just 
the game was there for the taking and that they will kick themselves if if they don't win the title again because there'll be times like that when they look back on and you know this injury crisis has taken its toll um but then the flip side of that is the players that have played do deserve credit because considering they did have two midfielders at centre half they didn't play too badly in the second half of Fulham and they did dominate the game and um credit to Henderson who you know slotted in there and did quite well um but you know, it's a, hopefully start getting players back soon because I think it will we'll see Liverpool pick up massively. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later on, but Joe's right there, Matt. Uh, certainly from the Fulham game, coming into uh, the Spurs game, which was, you know, was the top of the table clash, wasn't it? Um, uh, other teams have stumbled. Chelsea have stumbled. Wonderfully, Chelsea have stumbled ever since Klopp said they were favourites. I mean, beautiful piece of mind games there. Um Leicester drop points again. Uh, so, so last night was was pivotal, wasn't it? Because the pack it is one of those throw blankets over the first 15, 16 teams at the moment. It, it's a very, very tight league at the moment. Um, you know, Mourinho came. What what I find remarkable is is reading some of the post game um, write ups, and and suddenly suddenly Mourinho uh, Mourinho's tactics were a master plan. Um, that almost paid off. Uh, as far as I could see, it was exactly the same that Mourinho always does. He did nothing different. He piles 10 men behind a ball and tries to nick it on the break. Uh, it just happens in this Tottenham team, he has more power to do it because he's got a lot of pace up front uh, with Kane and Son, um, which, you know, uh, proved proved to be a winning combination, uh, certainly uh, for the for the equalising goal. Although I thought Harry Kane was kept, you know, quiet, as quiet as he's been all season. Reese Williams deserves a huge... Pat on the back. Yes, you can say that he might have been a little bit sloppy and a little bit maybe a pace behind the rest pulling out for the Son goal, but arguably you could say that he could have been perfect because isn't it interesting the VAR decisions against us take 10 seconds? VAR decisions against the team like last night, it takes about 10 seconds. VAR decisions for Liverpool trying to score a goal takes about five minutes. It's ridiculous. They, they've got their protractors out. They've got the set squares out. They're, they're measuring every single angle. Last night, we didn't even see a decent angle of that goal. It looked offside to me. And if it was a toe, then why aren't ours being allowed by a toe? Ridiculous. Um, but apart from that little bit of a shake at the start with Reese Williams, these young kids, and Curtis Jones as well, they are really stepping up to the plate, aren't they, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. I thought Reese Williams was was really, really good last night. I know the the goal is one that you would maybe pick out as possibly being a, a little bit of an error from him. But I mean, when you've got players as good as Bergwijn and Kane and Son, they are going to get in once during a ninety minutes to only do it once. I think is a huge achievement for for him, especially considering he's playing alongside Fabinho, who's not even a centre back. So, yeah, it was it was one of those brilliant performances from him. I thought Curtis Jones that was arguably the best that, that Curtis Jones has played for Liverpool in terms of you know the, the the standard of the opponent the way that you know he did just drag that team forward again and you've got to be careful making comparisons to, to other players but you know that there are certain things that that make you think of, of previous Liverpool players in terms of him dragging Liverpool forward just taking the game the game by the scruff of the neck and you know just driving the the midfield forward there's there's plenty of other players in there who are, are brilliant as well but I thought Curtis Jones last night was was absolutely fantastic again. So, yeah, just just so many positives, isn't it? it it's you know it, it's said quite a lot with with a couple of these players, Curtis Jones in particular. But whenever you watch them, the biggest thing that you can say about both him and Reese Williams is that you forget that they are both nineteen years of age, and to be doing that at nineteen just makes you wonder and and hope and. 
just really look forward to, to what they could be doing in, in five, six, seven years' time because if that's what they're doing at the moment, what on earth could could Curtis Jones be for you know for Liverpool for, for the rest of his career? Because he's just a, an unbelievably all-rounded footballer. He's very different to what he was 12 months ago, even you know, over the last year, over even the last six months, it, it's easy to forget that. You know that the goal that he scored against Everton in the FA Cup was was earlier this year. It feels like much longer ago than than that. But if he's come that far in the space of of eight nine months, imagine you know by the end of this season, by the start of next season, he's just going to get better and better and better, which is a, a hugely exciting prospect for Liverpool. And I thought that the game against Tottenham really, for both Williams and for Jones, it, it was a big step forward. But for Jones, really, for me, it's it's one of those. He's played so much football of late. He got to about 70 minutes and, and looked a bit tired, but then he got that second wind and, and helped Liverpool win the game in the end. And yeah, it, you don't almost think that, that he'd be coming out of the team. I think we're going to talk about players that are coming back. Thiago Alcantara has been spotted in training on his own this week. He's not going to be back for, for the weekend or anything like that. But you, know, you look at Thiago, you look at Chamberlain, you look at all these other midfielders. Would you, would you swap Curtis Jones for any of them at this moment in time? I'm not sure you would. Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. It's incredible, Joe, isn't it? But I mean, a couple of seasons ago, we were extolling the virtues of another 19-year-old in in Trent and saying how mature he was and how things come to him so so easily and and he adapts so easily to the pressure. And little did we know that a couple of seasons later we'll be doing it again for another 19-year-old. Reese Williams aside, he's, he's doing a phenomenal job. There's no doubt about it, but. Curtis Jones is certainly not catching the eye at the moment. I mean, he's um, it's like he's been there for years, isn't it? He flicks. He 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 has absolutely no he he has no uh, problems at all with dealing with with, with you know your, your top line Premiership players. I mean, he was just running around. He absolutely enjoyed every second of last night's game, Joe. I think Curtis Jones is an absolute superstar. I honestly think. I think the rest of the Premier League, I almost think that was his coming out party for the rest of the Premier League last night. It was it was a match when the wider public sat up and took notice and, and realised this isn't just some kid that's happened to play because Liverpool have got injuries. This is a lad who's got absolutely everything. And we saw, you know, I almost think he's he's matured so quickly that those like youthful moments from last season when he scored that goal against Everton, they're the moments that like kind of, the, the Wayne Rooney against Arsenal moment, if you like, that the kind of catch the eye and make the rest of the country sit up and take notice. And he's he's moved on another level from that now. So all right, he do, he hasn't scored an absolute world in a in a in a little while, but he's playing at a high level in, in such an accomplished way. You know, it, it's kind of mind boggling really when you look at it. You know, the way he's slotted into that Liverpool team, and you know, as as Matt said, you know, you if you if there are other players coming back now. He's not the one that you would be thinking of taking out. Um, I, I just think he gives you so much. He drives forward. He, he can play the ball, you know, long or short. He's he's always seems to pick the right option. He doesn't give it away. He doesn't make rash challenges. I just I just think he's got got the lot. Um, really, really excited about him, and we've been praising him a lot in recent weeks. But I thought last night was the the moment when others sort of stood up and took notice. And, and just a, a mention for Reese Williams, because again, I, th- I thought for him coming in last night, really tough game against two of the best forwards in Europe. And um, yeah, there was the odd moment, Bergwin getting in behind. But I mean, you know, that 
if you're going to get through a game against Tottenham, you're going to have to ride your luck a little bit, and there's going to be the odd moment. He's not he's not Virgil Van Dijk, is he? But for for a young lad, 19, must have been nervous. Didn't look it. Did he? He just he attacked the ball. He, he made. He wasn't afraid to go and make tackles. He wasn't afraid to to try different types of passes. I mean, he almost put Salah in, didn't he? With one sort of pass tackle, and um, I just thought he looked great. Yeah, thought he played really well. His best performance for Liverpool last night, and you know, I'd, I'd almost like to see him stay there. You know, maybe even keep alongside Matip if Matip's fit, move Fabinho into midfield, um, because I thought he played very very well. So um, he can be proud and. I'll just I'll just to pick you up on one more point that you said before about Mourinho. Yeah, I, I also agree that I do find it funny that, you know, on commentary they were almost like wishing in this Mourinho masterclass. And I just don't think you can play like that and call it a masterclass unless it comes off. You can't defend for 90 minutes and say, oh, that's a masterclass unless you keep a clean sheet and win the game, can you? Otherwise, it's not really doing a job. It's just riding your luck and getting away with it. You know, Liverpool were... At one point, I'd like 95% possession. And all right, you might say, oh, they didn't create loads and loads of chances, but they ended up winning the game by just forcing Tottenham back and back. It's not a masterclass, is it? It's just, it's a defeat. That's exactly exactly the point I was trying to make to the, uh, last night after the game and today as well. If he'd have come away with it with a 3-1 victory, it was a masterclass because he'd have absorbed all our possession knowing that he was going to hit us on the break three times. But he never, he never. And you can say they hit the post, but we hit the bar. You can say those things, but he never. So, yeah, it's it's just another Mourinho. And what makes me laugh is, you know, the the titty lip afterwards and how much he's, uh, we're, we're, you know, we're incredibly lucky and, and the best the best team lost, which to which Klopp replied brilliantly. I thought he was joking. Um, uh, but, and, as, and as Trent put on Twitter... Three simple words, best team won. Um, it is a remarkable thing. I just want to pick up on a Casey Jones thing as well that I forgot about. That run against Fulham um, in the second half was just unbelievable. I mean, and it, and it wasn't just it wasn't just the run. It wasn't just it was it was the way he was moving the ball to to, to create space and to uh, and to provide space ahead of him. It was extraordinary. Only that he got to the end of a long busting run and probably. You know, could have put his laces through it, and unfortunately didn't. That had been goal of the season there. Shut the shut the competition down because, you know, we have a. It's a very exciting time. Um, it always is to be a Liverpool fan at the moment, but to see these young kids come through, Nico Williams as well, who came on against Fulham, and I thought was brilliant. Um, they're all stepping up to the plate, and it's going to be a massive headache for for, for Klopp uh, when all these players are back together because you know we all want to see a midfield of Henderson, Wijnaldum, Thiago, Oxley, Chamberlain. And uh, and Curtis Jones, but that doesn't leave many other positions left on the pitch. But um, it's it's a good a good headache to have. But Matt, I'm going to ask you this now. Joe touched on it earlier on, talking about the the transfer situation in Liverpool. We're coming to the end of the year, but then January approaches, uh, as does the January transfer window. Do you think it's inevitable? And do you think um, we have to go out and try and strengthen that central? defence position. I know it's a question that everyone's asking all the time, but it, it's an interesting one with what Joe said about, I think, a, a, to some degree, a lack of planning for what has happened. Do they not need to go out now and say, right, let's stamp someone, let's get someone and play them there. We know we've got the Reese Williamses, we know we've got their players, but is it a bit much to, to try and suggest that we can go on and win the league without that that position being nailed down? I don't think it's inevitable that they do sign someone, but I do think it, it should be. I think Liverpool 
have got themselves into this position now. You've said all along, all the way through the first few months of the season, if Liverpool are, are there or thereabouts at the top of the Premier League come December, you really want them to, to go out and, and cement that position, really, by making a signing. I'm sure they'll have plans at some point, whether it be next summer, be it transfer windows after that. Bring those plans forward. Do something this January, even if you have to pay a premium, just to almost as close to guarantee silverware this season as you can. Because if Liverpool don't do anything this January, they fall off, they lose the, the league by a point or, or two points, everyone is then going to look back and go, what if? And, and that is the question that you just don't want to be asking. Liverpool are, are in a position now where they've had injuries and they've coped well, but I think they could do with just a, an extra body in there, whether it be just to, to give a little bit of extra rotation, whether it be to, to bring Fabinho back into his normal position, whether it just be to not put as much pressure on, on some of the youngsters. You know, Reese Williams, I'm sure, has enjoyed every one of his appearances and eight or, or so appearances he's made this season. But you know, he is still only a kid. You don't want to be putting him in, say, for a Champions League semi-final because you've got nobody else. And don't get me wrong, he, he might play it. He might be absolutely brilliant. But I think there's a level of risk there that, that Liverpool would be taking if they weren't to sign anyone. The only reason I, I say it's not inevitable is because we've seen it before with Liverpool. I think we've seen, you know, they, they will wait if the right player isn't available, if they've got their eye on, on one particular name and they think, well, we can't do it now, but we can do it in the summer. I think you'd have to just trust them in their their judgment of that. But as I say, I don't think it's inevitable that they will sign someone because I suppose the the argument that they will make is we'd rather wait six months, we'd rather get the the right one in the summer, and we have proven so far this season that we can just about cope. So it would be a risk. I think I think everyone is is right to be thinking that they should be making a move, but I think it, it's far from inevitable that they will do that. I'm just going to put this to you, Joe. It's uh, it's something that's been in the back of my mind that I've been trying to put off saying because it's it's almost too horrific to say. But just off the walk, off what the off the back of what Matt has just said about the possibility that Liverpool and they have a history of it will try and uh, sort of you know get through the 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 fullback crisis without buying anyone and and try and muddle through it. There is a very realistic possibility, Joe, that come the end of May when this season is over, if we're still in lockdown, if we haven't won this league again, this is why I think this league, this campaign is more important than the one that we won, that we haven't won in 30 years, that we won last, last season. Because in many ways, if we don't win this, we come out of lockdown and some other club is lifting the trophy. This will be, it'll be like the season that time forgot, won't it? It's it's such a weird situation. So is it not something? If you get to the end of this and you think we've dropped points because we haven't really stabilised where we should have done it, it's terrifying to think, but it's a possibility, John. Do you know what, Neil? I'm glad you've said it because I think it is a it's a difficult thing to say, and it's something that you know I personally and I think quite a few people might feel, but don't didn't really want to say. But yeah, I think it I think it is true. I think we've got to accept the reality that. You know, there's, there's been talk of parades when when the world goes back to normal, but when's that going to be? I just don't. I don't think there'll ever be a parade or a title celebration from last season. I kind of think it will be the season that time forgot. But if they do it again and they do it again quickly and in front of, you know, even if it's two, four, eight, ten thousand people at Anfield, then at least those people and more of us, hopefully with our friends and family, can celebrate two titles. And, and celebrate properly because, I mean, last season was, was a massive relief in terms of, 
you know, we've all waited so long to see Liverpool lift the Premier League title. But it wasn't... I've got to be honest, for me personally, it didn't live up to winning the Champions League the season before because it wasn't how you'd normally celebrate a, a Liverpool winning a trophy. Um, and that's very sad to say, but it, I think it is true. And, you know, the last thing you want now is like a Chelsea to come along and win the title and, and Liverpool's season, yeah, to be the, the season that time forgot. So, you know, I also just think it's imperative, like Matt said, that they, they buy someone because they are... I mean, this Liverpool are by far and away the best team in this league. You know, I, I just don't think any side touches them. I still think that when players are fit, Liverpool would balk this league title again. And um, it would be such a shame if a few injuries knocked them out, out of their, their stride and, and don't allow them and allow someone else to, to come in and steal in and win a title. That, you know, I don't think anyone's really that much better than Liverpool. So, you know, I, I just, I've been saying this quite a lot. I think if they get through to January, they're in touch or they have a lead at the top of the league and they go out and buy someone and they get others fit and keep them fit, they'll win the title. And um, I really hope I'm right because if they do that, then yeah, we can properly celebrate or hopefully as long as that, you know, as long as everything keeps going to plan with this, this COVID, but they can properly celebrate two league titles on the trot and, um, you know, do it properly because last year's season wasn't done properly. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is terrifying in many ways to think of, but I just hope that, you know, like we always say with these things, there's always a little caveat where we always do say, look, Liverpool know better than we do, the, the hierarchy know better than we do. They know what they want for this club and they know, and so far, they're getting it more than right. So you have to imagine that behind the doors of power, meetings are going on to, to say just what we've said, basically. Uh, probably not as eloquently as we've said it, um, but it will be certainly something that they must be thinking of because because um, th those positions are vital. We're we haven't even talked about Europe as well. Of course, we've drawn RB Leipzig uh, in the next round. Um, some some tough rounds, and then of course Man City's draw um, as tough as ever. Um, but that again, you know, European football. We need you need you, you need personnel who really really know what they're doing. Um, and we want to be pushing on all fronts. So, so um, as we said before, it, it just feels imperative to me that in January they they do a bit of business. All right, we've asked you both. On, I've asked you both on that. So uh, let's just uh, round things off by talking about what is to come. We have Crystal Palace away Saturday, half twelve kickoff. Uh, Palace is an unusual one, isn't it? It's it, it, in the past. It's proved to be, of course, they were the last team to beat us at, at Anfield sixty six games ago, all that many years ago. Um, and, and and fundamentally, last year was the team that was sort of pivoting us, lifting the titles, isn't it? When we smashed them in Anfield, but they're always an unusual kind of proposition, aren't they? Ben Teki seems to be back on the score sheet. Uh, do you fancy this to be a bit of a tasty one, Matt? It's an interesting one. Yeah, I think it, it will be a difficult one. I think it's it's always a difficult one at Palace, and we know what Jurgen Klopp's feelings are on a, a Wednesday night and then a, a Saturday lunchtime turnaround, uh, which again has not gone in Liverpool's favour on this occasion. I think. You know, Liverpool will have a lot of confidence that they've taken from Wednesday, but you'd imagine it, it's taken a fair bit out of them as well. So maybe there'll be a couple of changes in there. You might expect a little bit of freshening up. I think Naby Keita is, is back now. He was just about to come on, wasn't he, on Wednesday as a, a substitute. Didn't quite manage to, to get onto the pitch. You wonder whether there might be you know, an, an appearance for, for him, maybe one or two others as well. 
possibly Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain could come off the bench and, and help Liverpool just freshen things up a, a little bit. But yeah, I do think it'll be a really difficult one. We know the, the players that they've got that are difficult. Wilfred Zaha is the obvious one. I think there's a few others as well. I, I like the look of, of Eze. I think they, they brought him from, from QPR over the summer. Looks at a really good player. And it's going to be a, a challenge for Liverpool. I think it'll be huge thing if, if Joel Matip is back at, at the time of recording. We don't know what the, the latest is on, on him. If he was to, to appear at the weekend, I think that would be you know a big thing for, for Liverpool. But yeah, it's it's one of those games. It, it's always difficult, but you always fancy that, that Liverpool will just find a way, hopefully, to win it. If they can put everything into this one, I think there's an eight-day break, isn't there, before they play again. So, you know, fingers crossed they can just about scrape over the line and, and be top of, of the Premier League on, on Christmas Day. That would be very nice indeed, wouldn't it? And Joe, I must just, I must just backtrack just to the end of, of, of the Tottenham game because um, if you wanted, there couldn't be anyone you wanted to score that winner goal more than Bobby Firmino could that he did a 70-yard dash to the cop. And, and that, that guy is just such a... He's such an unsung hero for us, mate, isn't he? and I think every Liverpool fan just loves him. He, he's he, 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 because he's he embodies Liverpool. He's skillful. He's he's masterful on the ball. He drops deep and picks up pockets of space when people don't really notice what he does. He's ve- he, he's fine to let the other two get the plaudits, but what a thumping header! I think there was everyone apart from Tim Sherwood who. Um, if you've looked at any social media lately, what a bit of wonderful punditry that was. But you, we wouldn't have wanted anyone else to do it. And he's done it time and time again. I'm reminded of the Villa winner, uh, sorry, the, the winner against Wolves last season, which I think was pivotal as well when he came up last set, dying seconds of the game, spun rounds and smashed it into the back of the net. That was some header, wasn't it? And some player, Bobby Joe. Do you know what? He's, the, he's probably the most underappreciated player in the Premier League, isn't he? He's always the one that whenever you see anyone talk about Liverpool, they say, Oh, and it's never Liverpool fans who say this. It tends to be like the wider football um, punditry, and they, they say, "Oh, if you replace Firmino with a twenty-goal a season, nonsense." He's he's an absolutely phenomenal player. He's he's the man that makes Liverpool tick, and yeah, he's he he never hides and he pops up in crucial moments, and that was a crucial header. And what a way to celebrate! You know, like you said, that's how you celebrate a winning goal, isn't it? You just leg it. You know, you leg it. And you shout. And I was looking. I was looking through our, um, our like picture database after the game, and there was just some phenomenal pictures of him, just loving it. Um, so yeah, I was made up, and I just I do think he's a big game player, and um, I suppose you could say that about all of Liverpool's front three and potentially all of Liverpool's team. But you know, they're, they're guys who they're so good because they don't hide; they turn up in big games. And you know, if one doesn't get you, the other one will. And yeah, I was made up for Firmino, and I hope it lights a bit of a fire under him. Um, I think he does like Palace, doesn't he? Um, he scores yeah. a few at Palace. Historically, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, it was great to see him score. It was a thumping header. And it's it's sort of like, again, it's the sort of goal that I suppose people don't expect that from Mino, but he can do. He can he can score with his, his head, either foot. He can score long-range ones, tappings, you know, you name it, and he scored those types of goals. So um, he's a far better player than he gets credit for. And, you know, but the good thing is Liverpool fans know it because we watch him week in, week out. We see him do it. Um, but made up for him and just loved that celebration and did love um, what the, the Anfield rap called him Tactics Timmy <laughs> Jim Sherrod um, that, that was just great yeah. watched that a few times last night it, it's incredible if you are listening to this and you haven't seen Tim Sherwood's mastery 
of the punditry uh try and try and find it just google it it'll be i'm sure it's very easy to find now but he's basically just saying as andy robinson puts the ball down in, in the little uh, quadrant there to, to smash into the uh, the corner and he's just there uh, tim sherwood saying i'm not bothered about this at all because we've got a lot of big lads and as he's saying he just leaps above the wall like a salmon and fires it into the net like a bullet it's fantastic um all right quick prediction from the pair of your matt prediction for uh for, for palace I think it's going to be a really tight one. Uh, I fancy Palace will score. I seem to predict every single Liverpool match to be a 2-1 Liverpool win at the moment. And uh, I think that is what I'm going to go for again. I think it's uh, it's one of those. It's going to be a really, really tight one. I think that the fact that it's a half 12 doesn't help Liverpool. I think the fact that you know they, they had such a, a big exertion of energy midweek, but it's one of those. I think Liverpool showed the mentality giants type thing, didn't they, on Wednesday. And I think we may may just see something uh, something similar on Saturday. Well, if listen, if we win every game 2-1, you can keep doing them predictions, mate. No one's going to complain. <laughs> Joe Rimmer, what do you think for, for, for Saturday? Yeah, quite similar. It's Folly Palace, isn't it? It's that game that everyone says it's really tricky. And Liverpool win there almost every season, but Palace do make it a fight. Um, I must admit, I, I, I'm going to say 2-1 as well. I, I, think, I think it will be a bit drab, but I think if Liverpool get their noses in front... Um, you know, that should do it. And I'm hoping that the, the midweek will give them a big confidence boost. Um, similar side to Spurs as well. So, yeah, I'm going to say 2-1. Yeah, I'm going to say 3-2. Same same goal difference, but I'm going to say 3-2. I, I feel like I feel like just what you just said, said there, I think Manny hasn't been firing, but he's been nearly there. Uh, you know, I, I just feel like that could have been a little catalyst last night. And hopefully uh, the three will go on and just start punishing people from then. And then, of course, we've got... Um, the Boxing Boxing Day. Anyone who thinks it's Boxing Day, it ain't Boxing Day this year. It's the 27th. Don't forget, it is uh, West Brom, of course, on the 27th. Uh, guys, thank you so much. Thank you for persevering with technical issues. Thank you to Matt uh, and to Joe as well. Matt, have a great Christmas, pal. Thank you very much, mate. Same to you. Keep safe. Have a great Christmas. Joe, if you've got any baubles left, please keep one for Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah, just the one. And just yeah, have one, a great man, Christmas, I'm... Neil, and, and you, Matt, and all our listeners. Um, yeah. That's, yeah, absolutely. To all the listeners out there, thank you once again for all your support. Have a great Christmas. Have a safe Christmas. Um, keep mindful of your bubbles uh, and keep your glass full of bubbles as well. Uh, have a great time. Have a great Christmas. Great New Year. Up the Reds. Thank you to Matt and thank you to Joe. And we may be back next week and to squeeze one in with a little co-pro with Ali Rouge. But if we're not, have a great Christmas, Christmas and New Year and we will see you in January. Up the Reds. <laughs> You've been listening to the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel.